Welcome to our podcast Christmas special. We're delighted to present three snappy 20-minute episodes of opinion, discussion, information and ideas from two industry experts. We cover 5G, IoT and edge computing. Our first expert is Scott Stoneham, who is an independent technology analyst and connector. With a focus on technologies with purpose, Scott is passionate about discovering companies using technology to do good for the planet and all of its inhabitants. Scott's work can be found on www.wellthatsinteresting.tech. Please contact them via the website. Our second expert is Russell McHugh, who represents a number of startups in the US market in diverse areas, such as smart agriculture, IoT, and 5G managed service providers. Also metering, connected cars, and software testing. You can contact Russell via LinkedIn. This is a great fun podcast with two knowledgeable industry experts who dissect and analyze 5G, IoT, and edge computing trends over the three short podcasts. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer, Digital First Selling. During these times of COVID and falling telco sales, Digital First Selling is the answer to new customer acquisition, increasing revenues and cost reduction. If you are a telco, an MVNO or an eSIM provider, we have the ideal Digital First Selling as a Service solution for you. The Netzer Digital First Selling solution enables you to sell and onboard remotely. It will integrate with your BSS and OSS systems and with Salesforce, and we meet all regulatory requirements. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com so that we can understand your issues and provide you with the best solution. And the reason for that was to do with how long it took to exchange messages across the network, and the network was Wi-Fi. If they, if you know, they needed a minimum of 200 or yeah, a maximum, sorry, of 250 millisecond latency. So that's the time it takes to exchange these messages. And when you had a fifth person in, they needed something that was faster than the network was capable of. And the outcome of that would mean that if you had five people, people would bump into each other because they wouldn't realize where they were in the experience. Right. Uh, so they were limited by this thing called latency. Mm. Now, so, with, so, so maybe just for people who are. Uh, you know, not en- engineers like us who eat, drink, and live this all day long. But just to explain what latency is, maybe in simple terms. Okay, so latency is if you're standing at one end of a field and I'm standing at the other end of the field, and we want to exchange a message using a um, an American football, maybe. Or did we just call it a football? Um, yes. And I, I write the message on the football and I throw it to you. It's the time it takes for that ball to get from my hand to your hand. That's latency. Right. So and. And the, the point the point about and I'm, I'm pulling these figures out of the head but the mm-hmm. out of the out of my head but the point about latency on five G compared to four G is that it's an order of magnitude faster or almost we say almost negligible shall we say uh, potentially I think you know the, we talk about this one millisecond latency which is a bit of a um, I think a bit of a myth as to whether we'll actually get to that but even if we get to twenty milliseconds in that that I was just telling you about this uh, VR experience. They could have four people at 250 milliseconds. If they could bring it down to 20 milliseconds, each experience could have 10 times the number of people in it. Okay. So suddenly that business case becomes much more powerful because they're using a technology that's faster, quicker, more efficient. 
Okay, so so this is a technical issue that has great commercial impact in real life, is what you're saying. Now, one one example here of this is is robotic surgery. So that you're you're a patient in somewhere in without hospitals, and the robot will roll up and take out your appendix. Is is this going to be what we're looking forward to? Oh, who wants to start on this one? I get quite <laughs> passionate about this. Um, so, Russell, do you want to have a I, I, I don't know much about this. <laughs> I, haven't even thought, I mean, tele, telemedicine, I mean, I mean, look, at if we were to jump to sort of the COVID world right now, um, the idea of telemedicine has been around for, for a long time. I, I know a company here in San Diego, for example, that has been trying to push, push forward the idea of the virtual hospital visit uh, and post-hospital visit and all of that because of COVID, you know, that sort of stuff is beginning to permeate a lot more and there's been changing in the, in the rules with respect to insurance plans supporting that. So the idea of telemedicine is starting to jump and I think 5G is going to sort of, sort of accelerate that. I mean, robotic surgery is a completely other world. I mean, there you're, you're getting into hospitals, as we know, are highly regulated environments. Mm. It, any kind of a surgery is a is a is a highly regulated sort of uh, process. So the question is, when when are we going to see that? That's very futuristic, Scott. I'll, I'll let you go. So I'm being a bit provocative here, guys. No, no, no. It's good. It's good because I, I love this topic. Um, now um, I focus, as you mentioned at the beginning, on um, technology with purpose. So that's things that actually have a real meaning in this world, um, normally aligned to the UN SDGs, uh, Sustainable Development Goals. So one of the things I look for when I'm looking at technologies like 5G is what good is it doing to people? Now, there's a, it's quite difficult to find things to do with environment or climate or things like that. But health is, a, is actually a very strong area for 5G, but not with remote robotic surgery. So just to be clear, what we t what kind of is, is meant by that when we throw that term out there, the idea is that you turn up to a very expensive hospital, which has got all of these MRI machines around, all of these wonderful, expensive, um, highly clean, sterile environments, and the surgeon's not there. Um, so, but what you do, the surgeon is somewhere else, unable to attend, and he's going to control a robot um, um to pre perform this surgery. Well, you know what? In these places, they're going to have a fixed line. They're going to have fiber. These hospitals are not in the middle of the wilderness. They're connected places. So the idea that your robot's going to require 5G to do the surgery is kind of wrong. Yeah. You could argue that it's not the robot that needs the 5G. It's the surgeon because he was backpacking up the Alps. <laughs> Suddenly he's called on to come and do. But I mean, in near term, we're not going to have 5G in that kind of capacity in the Alps either. So, yeah, so, so this is stretching kind of, it. This is stretching. Yeah, it's stretching. Now, there are places in, in the medical area where it's going to work really nicely. And I've already seen, seen this. Um, two years ago, I witnessed the first Roma, they called it the Remote Robotic Surgery at Mobile World Congress. But really what it was, it was remote guidance. So it was effectively, I don't mean to dumb it down because there was a tremendous amount of technology achievement that went into it. But you had, a you had a surgeon from another hospital on the other side of, of Europe guiding a more junior um, surgeon or maybe who's somebody who wasn't specialist in that area using effectively um, video call. Mm. So he was able to do that in real time with very, very little latency because he could see you know, what was going on. He wasn't controlling a robot, but that's a use case that might work. But again, 
Hospitals have fixed um, fixed connectivity as well. So why they use five G? Yeah, why would they bother? Just exactly. Yeah. Do, listen, they, uh, sorry, uh, Scott. What I was just wondering is um, we've covered a wide range of topics now. Um, would you would you like to move on to the edge computing case, which I think is pretty fascinating? Yeah, we can we can do that. I think. Um, is there any other area we should talk about? I think yeah. Let's. There's in in the IoT space. I think there. Um, um, it's quite interesting how IoT suddenly became a poster child for 5G when, you know, like we've been saying, it's kind of been there for quite a while. <laughs> but there are some things that are being deployed with IoT, um, particularly in agriculture. I'm particularly interested in some of those things. Um, so for the likes of um, soil sensors, um, there's a use case in the US of a, uh, of a farm, of a, uh, you know, a, uh, an industrial sized farm that was able through the deployment of soil sensors connected to 5G networks, reduce their water consumption by 40% and increase their yield by 5%. So from a planetary point of view, reducing water consumption, I think, was it, is it 90 or 95%? I'm picking this one out of the air because I read it earlier, um, of water consumed on this planet is used for irrigation. Mm. It's, yeah. it's an astonishing. It's very, very high. Yeah. So if you can cut your consumption by 40%, that's a very, very good thing to do. And this is being enabled by, you know, soil sensors in the ground connected over 5G networks. And then also so to be able to do that. Just, just in time water, you might say. Yeah. Well, uh, there was, I, I was part of another project in Spain as well, where um, <clears throat> um, they were looking at different, I mean, there's, <clears throat> when you get, look into these specific industries and you start to understand the things they look at, it's, it's astonishing. So there was this whole study about soil substrates and how you stack different soils on top of each other and how that impacts the growth of the plant and the health of the plant. But one of the key, the two key things that really affected it, apart from soil substrate, is how wet it got and when in the plant growing cycle <clears throat> and also how much sunlight. So... This company I was looking at was doing was looking at um, sensors that measured both soil moisture levels um, as well as sunlight. And for every one percent degradation in sunlight, you can expect a one percent um, decline in your yield. Which, when you're operating these huge um, greenhouses, it's, it's astonishing. But the soil, the, the moisture thing, you got to get the right amount of water at the right time. Too much and you damage it. Too little, you damage it. So it's a really precise engineering um, feat, and these these sensors can help help do that. But you don't need millisecond for that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's an interesting one to kind of look at. Russell, do you have anything on that? So on the the idea of you know the edge computing and bringing it in. I mean, there's a there's a lot of proponents out there. Again, they're pushing sort of on-site um, solutions around the whole idea of adopting IoT networks and stuff like that. Um, right now, you know, you, you typically you put your sensor in, you've got some kind of a gateway, it goes up to the cloud, but how much of that could we actually do locally? Mm. And, and how much more beneficial could it be? You know, we talk about sensors. Um, you know, these sensors obviously generate a lot of data. You're pumping that data up to the cloud. Ultimately, that's going to have some kind of a carbon impact, if we could sort of uh, normalize it and extract some anomalies locally from the sensor, uh, that could make an awful lot of sense. Um, for example, if you're running vibration sensors, you're, you're, if you're, uh, you're looking to monitor a piece of equipment and you're looking to monitor it pretty much continuously, uh, 
Mm-hmm. So if you had some kind of edge computing capability at that at the sensor on the piece of equipment or piece of kit that you're actually monitoring, and it's just sending you the anomalies or it's just sending you the information that you want, right. then that makes an awful lot of sense. And then by extension, you could extend that to practically any sensor. You know, you can put local sort of a local operating environment on it. The edge computer, you know, the computing is actually happening at effectively at the edge or at the sensor. So that stuff starts to make an awful lot more sense where you've got a very, very dense environment where you've got a very um, high density of sensors and gateways and all that kind of kit that you have in your environment. So that's where I see edge computing. Obviously, it's going to be some kind of a symbiotic relationship. You'll have some element of processing locally uh, on your sensors, and then you'll have a cloud for, for visualizing all of that. Okay, no, that, that's uh, that I can see that it's a matter of design, really, as yeah. proper design. And actually, if you think about the connected car or autonomous vehicle conversation we had earlier, mm-hmm. you could imagine that that network is operating on the edge. They're communicating with each other and communicating with the cloud as they need. Um, yeah. Sorry, can I put it, could I put it to you this way? I mean, is there a business opportunity for mobile operators in edge computing? What, you know, as I understand it, the, the so the optimum place for the for the processing is maybe at the sensor, and at the other extreme, it might be in the uh, say Amazon Cloud or Google Cloud or wherever. But is there a, is there a median place where, for various reasons of uh, you know latency at a, at a network level, what do you think of that? Is there a business case for operators to, to look at this? Well. I was going to say it's it's probably going to come down to you know and and a lot of IoT projects come down to what is the actual use case what are you trying to measure um and that sort of defines what you want to do so you know as as I, I talked about the the case of using vibration sensors if you can compute them at the edge that makes a lot of sense now on the other extreme, if you're just measuring gas pipelines and you're looking for leaks in them and you haven't had a leak for five years, then, you know, <laughs> you know in that instance, if, it's, if it just notifies you once in five years, then that, that's, that's fine. So I don't know about the, the, the mobile operator having a role to play in all of that. I mean, their business typically is connectivity and selling SIM cards. Um, I don't know, Scott, do you want to try and tackle that one? Yeah, um, and then I've got an interesting statistic on the amount of data that doesn't need to be transmitted and the edge could get. <laughs> right. <weird on. laughs> Don't it's, be giving uh, the operators such a hard time, Scott. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> mind-blowing number, and I relate to it in, in London buses. So let's come back to it in just a moment. Um, but the mobile edge piece, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the balance. What you're trying to find there is the balance of performance versus cost versus speed. So on the chip, on the phone, on on the device, the IoT thing right at the front, that's where you're going to get the fastest response time because it doesn't have to connect with anything. But you're also going to have the highest constraints typically in terms of power and speed. Now, if you want to have more power, more speed of processing, and you're not, too, and, and you're not worried about um, uh, latency, the time it takes to get the answers um, at all, then you'll just push it all the way up to the cloud and let Amazon do it somewhere. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about both things, you need it to be as fast as possible, but you also need incredible power. So maybe um, artificial edge, um, uh, artificial intelligence on the edge, or facial recognition. Dare I say that um, um, on the edge? Then you need you need to have that processing as close to the kind of detector, the sensor, whatever it is, as you can, and that's where edge can come. 
Okay. Now, where the operator plays in that, you know, they could be the ones that connect those pieces of kit at the edge. You know, they're just going to be computers with another name. Um, they could be the ones that provide that connectivity. They could even be the ones that provide that kit as well, that hardware. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they do. I'm, I'm not too sure. I think operators are exploring all of those options because, you know, they've got, <laughs> they're, they're dealing currently in, in markets that are beyond saturation. So they've got to find new market opportunities. But can I throw out a, uh, a number here then? Uh, in terms of, I did a study um, I did a study on, uh, uh, on the amount of data that might be generated by IoT devices by 2025. It's 79.4 zettabytes of data. So that's a huge amount of data. Yeah. So what I thought was, let's try and make that understand. That's more than an exabyte, is it? A zettabyte? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, uh, I, can't, I can't remember how many zeros at the end of it. Right. Um, a lot. But if you, if you were to make a person... A, a byte and you were to fill up London by um, London buses with people, you would need 993 quintillion London buses to fit uh, in uh, uh, 79 Zeti humans. Now, how are, big are is they that? Boris buses, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you put them end to end, they would be bigger than the Milky Way. Uh, that's how much data that IoT is potentially generating. And the, the reason that's important is because with every byte that's generated, transferred and stored, you've got a carbon dioxide footprint for that. Okay. The amount of carbon dioxide that that generates, get this number as well. And there's there's lots of caveats to this, but it's 158 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Yeah. Uh, is that big? Is that not? Well, if you were to add up the total emissions from China, US, India, Russia, Japan, Germany, that's only 21 billion tons. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an enormous amount of data. So if we can keep this off the networks and keep it on the edge, there's already an environmental saying, yeah. positive impact. Okay, so... That's brilliant having you on the podcast, guys. Really enjoyed it. And we, there was quite a lot of material covered in a fairly short time, to be honest. I just normally, I ask the guests to play out on a song, but I thought it'd be selfish this time. I think we'll probably revisit this combination again. But the song I'd like to play out because it's Christmas is Bruce Springsteen. And it's Santa Claus coming to town. So hope you guys have a good Christmas. And I hope the guests have a good, I hope the audience has a good Christmas too. I hope you've been good this year, Pat. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, man, you guys know what time of year it is. What time? What? What? Oh, Christmas time. You guys all, you guys all been good and practicing real hard. Yeah. Clients, you've been, you've been rehearsing real hard now. So Santa, bring your new saxophone, right? Everybody out there been good or what? Oh, that's not many, not many. You guys are in trouble out here. <laughs> and you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming.
sing. Let's have 